All right, we are back with episode 18 of the Clinch Perfect podcast. I'm Ben, as always, joined by Tom. How was the? How did you enjoy the fights on Saturday, mate? Hello, hello. Oh, right, let me just start off. I nearly fell asleep. I'll admit it. I, I, I got so close, and then just before Uzi came out, I nearly, I nearly messaged you going, mate, my eyes are closing. I, I, I don't know how I'm going to stay alive. But thankfully, I just pulled through and then immediately collapsed on the sofa, to which point everyone came down and were like, I think it was like six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> was like, That's a late one for UK yeah. fans. I know. I hate that every card at the moment's in Vegas. I had my uh, my first vaccination on Sunday morning. So congratulations, mate. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a little insight here onto how disgusting I am. Um, I had a huge plate of garlic bread just before the Izzy fight. <laughs> I was I was starving. I had a huge plate of garlic bread just before the Izzy fight, and I had quite a lot to drink as well. And you know when you drink a lot and then you sweat and you sleep. Well, I guess garlic bread really stinks when you sweat because when I was sitting in the vaccination center the next morning, I could smell garlic and I was thinking, <laughs> fucking hell, is that me? <laughs> it definitely was. So I'm pretty sure everyone in that place was like, why does that guy just stink of garlic? But uh, wait, 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 let's just backtrack. You had garlic bread at about 5.45 in the morning. Well, you got to think I had dinner at what? 7, 8 p.m. in the evening. And then, <laughs> well, why does that explain the garlic bread in the morning? Mate? Because then by 5 a.m. I'm starving, mate. And the only thing I could find is some cheesy garlic bread, which is delicious, by the way. But God, yeah, I was, yeah. I was stinking it up in the vaccination center. Yeah, I, 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 I'm glad I wasn't sat next to you. That's for sure. <laughs> you should have gone around with like closed pegs, you know, <laughs> just pinch people's noses. <laughs> they needed it. They needed it. I literally could smell it the second I woke up. Um, yeah, just I, it was it was awful. Um, <laughs> let's get let's get into the fights. Did you manage to catch uh, the actual fight? That's what, that's the main question. Yeah, yeah. I, I I fell asleep with about thirty seconds left in the fifth round, so that was <laughs> it. Was, that was sufficient. I knew we knew who was going to win. Um, well, everyone except Marvin Vittori knew who was going to win, I guess, because he said afterwards that he thought he won. Um, I got to give him a little bit of credit, in t- not for that because that's pathetic, but in terms of how he performed in the actual fight, I think a lot of people are just shitting on him for losing, but. If you look at what Izzy's done to the other contenders, and like Vittori actually did pretty good. Like he put some good pressure on him. I think he was a little bit scared to let his hands go. Like he had a few chances when he had Izzy up against the fence where he could have just unloaded. And he, I don't know, it was almost like he knew he gave too much respect to how good Izzy's striking is. But um, yeah, I feel like he's being a little bit kind of overlooked for the things he did do well, even though he he did clearly lose to the to the better man on the night. Yeah, I completely agree. I, th- I think the one detractor for Vittori is that he doesn't have that frightening one-punch power. Like we, I mean, I haven't really seen it in his career where he, he ever hits an opponent and then necessarily trouble, but it's usually more like concussive blows or a, a flurry of shots. But yeah, I, th- I think he did pretty good. Like there were a couple of takedowns that I was like, oh, okay, that's put in. And the, obviously the submission attempt. Where, but then, I mean, Izzy's re- we'll talk about Izzy's performance later, but I, I just felt it was Izzy's night and Vittori wasn't really up to the races. Um but I, I don't I don't actually think the best version of Vittori could beat Izzy anyway. So it, it felt like a pretty much a foregone conclusion, as we said in the previous week. But um, I was entertained. I thought it was really good. I, I mean, the crowd was certainly entertained, especially I, I think Izzy has kind of transcended the sport. I, I'm not, I don't want to compare to Anderson Silver or anything like that, but I do feel like he's riding that wave of momentum. I don't think the last of Blachowicz did anything really to him I, I i think kind of no i don't accentuated think really the star. Yeah, I think if anything, right. I, um, I feel like it kind of accentuated the star power because in the build-up he was almost like you know when i'm going to use a basketball reference here I, americans forgive me i probably sound like i'm talking out my ass but um I've, I've been watching the last dance okay <laughs> that's my excuse but when michael jordan was talking about how he's got that like heel personality and thrives off other people i feel like is he used that loss against blow it's like perfect the skills that or the imperfections that he felt he had definitely had in that fight worked on them, adapted them to his game plan, which is obviously stand-up, 
and you kind of saw that like stuff in the takedowns and the, the movement like he was very clear of circling away from Vittori and picking him off at range which let's be honest is he's the best counter punch in the UFC and that's yeah, I mean, on the night like the one notable takedown that Vittori landed came from a court kick so you know still impressive from Vittori's side of things but it's not something you'd look at for Adesanya as like a major issue he needs to fix like that's not going to happen every time you throw a kick so um yeah I, yeah, I see what you're saying um kind of use the Bohovic as a, not as a warm-up, that's the wrong term, but um, yeah, to, to fix sort of some deficiencies he had in his game. Um, yeah, and I do agree, agree he's kind of got that like mythical, mythical striker. I wouldn't say mythical status as a whole, but like it's almost like um, scarcely believable how smooth and calm and composed he is when he's striking. Um, and I mean, you could see it in the build-up, I think, to be honest, Vittori, and I've heard loads of people say this, so um, I may just be a broken record here, but Vittori was too tense. He was too angry. Like, I know that's his thing, but fuck, in the press conference, like, you could see his veins popping out his neck, like, probably in several weeks building up to this fight, he's been too tense, too angry, and I just feel like, I don't know, Adesanya was kind of in his head from day one, or maybe he was in his own head, I don't know. Um, he is only 27, so he's still got plenty of time to to improve both, you know, his actual fight game and, and the mental side of the game. But yeah, like you said, Adesanya, I mean, it was kind of what we expected. I would have liked to see him, you know, be a bit more, uh, put a bit more damage out there and go for the knockout. But what can you do? Um, you can't knock everyone out. He's already done it to, to plenty of people. So yeah, I mean, pretty incredible performance, all things considered. And let's be honest, Vittori is quite durable anyway. Like, I don't think we've ever really seen Vittori necessarily in trouble. And is he is not necessarily a knockout artist. He's more of like a, as you say, a mythical striker who perfects the art rather than going for that instant knockout or whatever. But I, I was really impressed with the adjustments that Izzy's clearly made. Like I know um, City Kickboxing have brought in a bunch of decorated grapplers and stuff to focus on the, the wrestling and the, the takedown defense. And you can kind of see that when he he shuffled to the edge of the cage to like prop himself back up. Like it, it's that kind of thing that. I mean, he's been doing it in his previous fights, but you, you could tell he had like the game smarts, like the fight IQ. I felt, I feel like Izzy is most confident at 185. I don't feel like he necessarily had that confidence at 205. It was more of just like a a gimme. Like I, I feel like he probably took Bohovic a bit too lightly. Uh, um, but yeah, I I think to be honest, I, th- I think Vittorio will be annoyed that he didn't throw more, as you say. But I I think that's more to do with Izzy's game plan and the way Izzy fights and anything like we've seen Yo Romero who hits far harder than Vittori just standing like a g- fucking yeah, idiot for exactly. 25 minutes um, exactly so yeah there's a bit of an aura around Izzy as a kickboxer which makes and it even, even harder affecting his opponents now not just yeah. the fans yeah, <laughs> yeah um, exactly I mean Vittori afterwards called out Paolo Costa and Costa's since come out on Twitter and, and had a go at it you know they've been going back and forth each other calling each other Can I someone explain the trunks please <laughs> Vittori called Costa a drunk idiot, I think, which which I enjoyed. Um, I gotta say, I want this matchup made just for the trash talk. The trash talk at the builder would be so funny because neither of them really make sense when they speak. They're both incredibly angry men, and it would just be hilarious to see them just trade the most cringy garbage insults you've ever <laughs> heard back and forth. Um, like I want a full press conference with just these two yelling at each other. Costa sat there with a glass of red wine, um, you know, the whole ordeal. But um, I mean, looking at looking at Izzy's future, he, he talked about fighting Whitaker in New Zealand. That's probably not going to happen anytime soon because of the COVID restrictions there. But um, I mean, Whitaker is probably the only person he can fight next, right? Yeah, Vegas in October, I feel like, is probably the, the safer bet. But yeah, there's no one else. I mean, even Till's got to win, I'd, I'd say, at least two fights before he gets into title contention. I know, I know Izzy's talked about fighting him, but I, I, I feel like someone like a Brunson again, he's, he's not quite there. 
Cannoneers obviously coming off a loss and is bizarrely fighting Kelvin Gastelum in like the strangest matchup I've seen, frankly. But um, yeah, there's n- there's no one else, and uh, and I-, I think Bobby Knuckles deserves it. Like the, he's come, he's bounced back from that loss with what a three fight win streak, and he's beaten pretty much everyone I've just mentioned. So who else is there? And and also in terms of like the Australasia and New Zealand and all that kind of stuff, like it makes the most sense. That, that that if if the UFC can build that audience again, like I mean the numbers will go. I, th- I feel like the numbers will do even bigger than the first fight, and those those figures were astronomical. Like we've seen what Holly Holm and Ronda Rousey did when they were fought in Australia. Like just imagine what happens when Izzy and Whitaker fight again. Yeah, for the be crazy title. It'll be mental. And anyway, and again, imagine if they get like Volk on the. I mean, I, I think Volk's fighting in September, but imagine if they get like Volk and Ortega on like. The undercard, like co-main and whatever. I think they could make it into a real spectacle. Let's move on to the co-main. Um, my worst prediction in the history of predictions. Everything I said that Figueredo was going to do to Moreno, Moreno did to Figueredo. <laughs> I've never been more wrong about anything in my entire life. Um, I mean, we can talk about the weight cash issues for Figueredo. He what showed up with like two minutes to spare on weigh-in day. And, you know, he looked kind of sleepy, drained whatever you want to call it in the octagon on the night but i mean you can't take anything away from moreno did like i said everything i thought figueredo was going to do moreno did it better perfectly um i mean it really was as close to a perfect performance as you can ever get especially in a title fight with that you know insane pressure on you well even dana white admitted that he thought figgy was going to completely murk him and well, I'll hold my hands up because, again, last week we were like waxing lyrical about Figgy saying, oh. I named last week's episode the Figueredo Fan Club when I uploaded it onto Spotify. <laughs> so might have to rename that one to save, save a bit of embarrassment there. Um, but, gee, I, yeah, I mean, Moreno just, I'm, I'm sure there were plenty of people that were backing him, but I think the majority were in our camp thinking that he was going to get smoked. I, I think it's credit to Moreno. Everyone's, I mean, every pundit under the sun's talked about his crazy run in the UFC. Mm-hmm. Like, last seed on tough being cut you name it he's been there he's done it i think it's kind of like for me it, it, it's even more impactful than say like a i don't know it, it sounds crazy but like i i I, even, I find that even more engaging than maybe even a bisping because it's like well the guy literally got cut from the ufc was given almost no chance at all fought in lfa went on a ridiculous tear came back in the ufc had a great fight with like Askar Askarov, like He's been through some absolute wars, man, and he's he's fought everyone in that division basically, like Pantoja, Kaikara France. Like, I don't, I don't think there's really any like top contender that he has. I mean, maybe other than Alex Perez, I don't think he's fought Alex Perez, but uh, yeah, it's really exciting. And the fact he's Mexican, like Dana alludes to it, they they kind of thought that Yaya Rodriguez would be like that Mexican superstar, but they've got it in Moreno. And the best thing is the flyweight division is absolutely popping right now. Like, I mean, Cody Garbrandt's floating around. Imagine if Cody Garbrandt calms down and they end up fighting in like Mexico City. Like that, that number, I, I hate to think how many numbers that pay-per-view would do. But Be insane. It, um, yeah. You mentioned a couple of guys there, Askarov and Alex Perez. I think a lot of people thought the easy next next matchup for uh, for Moreno would be Askarov. But obviously, this is something they were already working on. It's only just been announced today. Askarov and Alex Perez are going to fight at the end of July. Surely that's the number one contender fight. So that kind of rules out the immediate trilogy for Figueredo. Um, I think Figueredo, a lot of people have said it. I'm going to say it as well, should move up to 135. Like, it, you know, it's 
just simple. Like I said, no need to overcomplicate anything. The guy's been struggling to make weight time and time again. He what missed weight for the first Benavidez fight, I think. And um, yeah, I think that was the only time he's actually ever missed weight in his career, but he's always struggled with it. He's always, you know, sweating right down to the wire on, on making weight. So also there's so many fun matchups at 135. I wanted to pick one to say like, oh, we should make, but there's too many. There's so many you could make. The first one I, I would be looking at is whoever loses between Sanhagen and Dillashaw. I mean, imagine, a, you know, whether it be a co-main or a pay-per-view or a, a fight night head, headline, Dillashaw against Figueredo moving up to 135 for the first time. Like, there's so many good matchups at 135 for him that I feel like he could, you know, go up, even if he doesn't win the belt, make so much fucking money off the crazy matchups there that, um, you know, he can survive on that alone without needing to, uh, to compete for the belt again. I completely agree with everything you just said. I, I have an interesting take on a potential opponent. I mean, it, it sounds kind of... I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm shooting for the moon a bit, but imagine Jose Aldo. Imagine Figgy versus Jose Aldo, like in Brazil. Like I feel, I, I know he's coming for loss, but that'd be insane. I, I feel like that would propel him into like <laughs> I may even propel him towards a title shot like ASAP. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like obviously the like, hype around that, a Sao Paulo yeah. card or something like that. That'd yeah, be insane. Yeah, yeah. The crowd and would it, be and so he's good. really popular. Like. You look at his social media and everything. Like, I mean, the, the dude's hilarious. I mean, he's got a bloody pet water buffalo. <laughs> Who has that? Who has a pet water buffalo? Jason <laughs> Figueroa. Um, yeah, but yeah, the the opportunities around us. I don't really want to see a rematch any like a trilogy fight anyway. To be honest, I thought I feel like it was it was so conclusive that I'm not necessarily sure he deserves it. Which which may sound harsh, but like you look at the defenses, like as you say, missed weight, head butted, Benavidez, like. It's kind of, I don't know. Poor Benavidez, man. Already <laughs> Benavidez. Um, <laughs> did you see that tweet, which is like Megan Levy's, like waiting for the opportunity to throw tomatoes? Yeah, yeah, ball. I did. Um, I noticed a lot. I don't know if this was just me that, that spotted this, but there was so many times I, I like looked towards the commentators on on the broadcast, and Megan Levy was sat next to them, not watching the fights. So I was like, what is she doing? Um, and I, and I seem to remember there was a clip from a, a crazy knockout, maybe Kevin Lee on Greg Gillespie. It might have been where that like her reaction to it went viral because she wasn't watching and she just saw Greg Gillespie's corpse like flop down in front of her. Um, so I don't know, Megan Levy, an, an incredible reporter, like the absolute best at what she does. Watch the fights though. <laughs> um, we'll move on to uh, to Leon Edwards and Nate Diaz. And I got a little, bit of, a little bit of a rant about this one because, you know, I like to think this podcast, we, uh, we're we open to, to the hardcore fans and the, the more casual fans. But I think the... The toxic side of casual MMA fandom came out on uh, on Saturday night around this fight, and my my issue with this is Leon Edwards fought a near perfect fight. He fought perfectly for twenty four out of twenty five minutes, and yeah, I know he's not the draw. Nate Diaz was the draw, but there's no such thing. There's no such thing as a as a perfect twenty five minute fight, and you don't have to fight a perfect twenty five minute fight to win. There's not a rule that if you don't fight all twenty five minutes perfectly, you don't win the fight. You have to fight and you have to win enough of them to win. It's that you win or you lose. It's that simple. It's like, you know, Volkanovsky lost the first two rounds in his rematch with Holloway. Does that mean he's not the champ because he only won, you know, 15 out of 25 minutes rather than all 25? It's just the most ridiculous. The narrative around that is the dumbest shit I've ever seen. Like people saying, oh, if there was one more round, but it's like, you know, if my aunt had bollocks, she'd be my uncle. It's just that honestly, I've never seen anything more infuriating than Twitter after that fight. The amount of people saying, like it just it's just typical Leon, isn't it? Like the biggest stage of his career, the biggest fight of his career in terms of name value. He 
He wins so convincingly. Like I said, 24 out of 25 minutes. If you offered any fighter a 25-minute fight that they win 24 minutes of, they'd take it. And then what's happening after the fight? Everyone's talking about Nate Diaz, how badass Nate Diaz is, and how Leon Edwards nearly lost. It's just so unfortunate for him. And I think, I'm assuming you're going you're gonna to carry on and agree with this, but it's probably cost him his title shot. No, I disagree. <laughs> I disagree because I'd wonder, I mean, let's be honest. I know Daniel's come out and said that Kobe Covington's next. We all know how, we all know what happens when it gets to the negotiating table. And Kobe, let's face it, isn't great at selling himself with the UFC. Like they've had numerous runs in the past over fight contracts, you name it. I just wonder, I, like, I, I do wonder if there's going to be a red herring. If somehow Edwards is going to fight Usman in December, or like, I, th- I think Usman's like taking a bit of like some time out. I know he's been talking about he wants he wants a quick return, but I mean he's in he's been in Nigeria. I think he's taking some time out with his family. I do feel like, I, I, as you say, he won 24 minutes of that fight. But not only that, I don't feel like there's anyone who could win 24 minutes of a fight against Edwards. I don't think there's anyone who could do that to him. Like. Usman may be able to dominate for like. I don't think there's anyone that could really fight, do that but... to Nate Diaz, more to the point. Like, that's what no. I'm talking about. So many people are focusing on the one minute he wasn't per- Like, there's no such thing as an absolute perfect performance unless you're Brandon Moreno. Um, like, like he won what's 24 out of 25, like 98% or something of that fight he won perfectly. Um, and he got he, he got clipped. And yet, if you look at if you look at if you look at them after the fight when they're standing there against each other. Who had the most damage on their face? And it's yeah, not just because it, of the scar tissue. It, it wasn't the bloody slicing elbows. Like, give the man his credit. I, I, I really do have an issue with the fact that I, I think Leon is constantly overrated. He, Diaz alluded to in the post-fight press conference. He was like, yeah, Leon deserves a title shot. Like, he's one of the best fighters on the roster. Like, if Nate Diaz is saying that his opponent is... I mean, even compared to GSP, which I think is a bit far, but even so, like, it just goes to show, like, the, the power of the guy, like, the skill set and I, I feel like often as fans there's this viral moment or whatever like it, it, it really does like stick in the back of my throat it really annoys me that Leon puts on such a clinic and one brief moment which he recovered from bear in mind it's not like that's the final second of the fight and Nate knocks him out he wobbled then clinches and deals with it comfortably yeah I think like, he, end, he ended the fight pinning Nate up against the cage um, yeah yeah the whole, like I said I my, I'm done ranting about it, but it, it just it just pissed me off the whole narrative around that. Like I understand, I completely understand Nate's the draw there out of the, out of the two of them, and he's the superstar. But yeah, I just thought it was a bit of a joke. I don't think he'll get the title shot next, be only because I think Wonder Boy is going to smoke Gilbert Burns, and then you won't be able to refuse Wonder Boy the title shot if if that happens. But, but why can't you refuse Wonder Boy the title? I mean, if you compare the resumes, Wonder Boy got sparked by Anthony Pettis like what three, four, five years ago. And that's not that's not getting wobbled. That's getting sparked by a lightweight. I think, but I think you look at their resumes, and you could definitely make the argument that Wonder Boy's fought much better competition, like consistently. Wonder Boy's last like six, seven fights are all against absolute top, top of the line talent, whereas only Leon's last couple have been. I think I've lost Tom's connection there. Oh no, I'm gonna have to fill time by all by myself. What's happened? Anyway, I'll, I'll move on without him. Hopefully, he'll uh, he'll leave and rejoin. Uh, not sure what's going on there. Um, Bilal Muhammad, Damian Meyer. I've written on the notes here. Yawn. 
Oh, he's just Tom's just texted me. His internet decided to shit itself. Great. Yeah, I've written on the notes here, yawn, because I do like Bilal Muhammad. He's he's a fan favorite um, for a reason because he's a nice guy. He's a marketable guy. He's a funny guy. Has his own podcast, which is very good. But I mean, it just it just wasn't impressive enough of a performance to to propel him to where he wants to be. And if you look at the welterweights in front of him, that I, I can't see him beating any of them. Um, if I just bring up the the welterweight rankings for a second here in front of me. Uh, I think, you know, Bilal needs to go out here and make a statement against Maya. And he frankly didn't do that. And, and Maya is a difficult, you know, they've referred to it multiple times on the broadcast. Maya is an incredibly difficult opponent to fight. He's, a, you know, no one looks good beating Damon Maya unless you're Gilbert Burns. But Bilal really needed a statement here because if you look at the rankings ahead of him, as I'm just pulling them up now, I mean, he's ninth. You've got Neil Magny in eighth, which is probably his best shot at a win. Uh, after that, Masvidal smokes him. Chiesa outgrapples him. Luke out everything's him. Thompson outstrikes him. Leon out everything's him. Gilbert Burns is just a monster, as we know. Colby Usman. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I like Bilal a lot. He's a good fighter. And he's, like I said, he's a great guy and a marketable guy. But I really can't see any route to victory against any of the guys above him in the rankings. So um, I think it's going to be difficult for him to make the case for a title shot off that. Looks like Tom is joining back in just <laughs> yeah, in time. Apologies. For, I, ju- I just ran through the uh, the Bilal and Maya fight. I know you didn't want to talk about that anyway. Oh, so um, I gave Bilal some props and said he's got fucking no chance of beating anyone above him in the rankings. So <laughs> we'll move on. To join, but you've joined back in perfect time, mate, to talk about you know what we really want to talk about. Paul Craig and Jamal Hill, two guys who have gained immense respect from everyone, I think, both for their um, antics before the fight and their reaction after the fight. And then, of course, you know, an incredible, incredible performance from Paul Craig. Craig, American commentators, Craig, not Paul Craig. <laughs> it's very wholesome, isn't it? Let's be honest. Like, it's just, I feel like that's the beauty of combat sports in general. Like, you look at, like, the greats, like the Four Kings, Duran, Leonard, Hagler, Hurton. Like, they're all, I don't know. They're all friends after they bash each other in the ring and whatever. And you kind of have that with Paul Craig and, and Hill. Like, I don't know. It was it was weird though. I'll tell you what, what was really strange. I don't know if anyone else picked it up, but in that photo, you can clearly see Hill wearing his hospital like wristband thing. It like who wears that to a club? I mean, I guess like as part of his drip, mate. Um yeah. yeah, I think Hill actually did allude to something on Twitter. He said something like that um he had let Twitter trolls paint a picture of Craig for him rather than actually knowing Paul, do you know what I mean? So I think he had had like Scottish fans tweeting him saying, Craig's putting you to sleep, mate. And he'd been like, well, fuck this guy. And, um, you know, it, the picture of Paul Craig had been painted for him by Paul Craig's fans, not, you know, the man himself. So it doesn't surprise me that, you know, he got along with them afterwards because who wouldn't get along with Paul Craig is sound. Um, yeah. In terms of the performance, I mean, Paul Craig, is it, there's, well, I know the I know the answer is no, so I'm not even going to bother asking you. There's nobody in the light heavyweight division that can that can compete with him on the mat. Uh, to quote the great man himself, I would like to be the Damian Meyer of the light heavyweight division. Say no more, Paul Craig. I think your jiu-jitsu's up there. I think you're an absolute wizard, mate. Like fantastic. And every time, the thing is as well, he pulled guard. It wasn't like Hill took him down. He literally pulled guard and used his physical strength to drag Hill to the mat. And from the minute he got his arm trapped in, against his body, and, uh, like you could kind of see it, like almost between his body and and, and the canvas, there was just no, it, like it was so tight. The grip 
between. Yeah, and I mean, I thought Hill did pretty well as well. Like, but before the arm got all mangled, um, he, there was a, there was a sort of I don't know 20, 30 seconds there where he was kind of scrambling and and like jumping over to the other side, and um, you know, Craig did have to adjust a few times, so it wasn't easy. Like, you know, Hill taught multiple times in the build up to this fight that he's been training jujitsu since he you know started combat sports training. So, um, yeah, I mean, like you said, it's just a, literally a perfect performance from Paul Craig. And amazing to see that you got the fight, the uh, performance of the night bonus as well. Uh, always nice to see Dana recognized a great performance. And the thing that impressed me the most was that he called it right from the start. I mean, if, if he even bettered his original call out because he said he was going to finish him in the second round, right? And he, well, he went one better than that. And I, I, I think it's about time Paul Craig starts getting his dues. Like the guy has fought a murderer's row of top prospects. He beat Anchor Live. He's been in there with Jimmy Crute. Um, probably forgetting some people as well. Who was the guy who fought beforehand? I can't remember his name. I, I can't remember how to pronounce his name. But oh, um, don't put me on the spot. <laughs> I can't remember. I think it was like a. I think it was another grappler. And, uh, oh no, he fought Shogun. Of course, he fought Shogun. He fought Shogun, Shogun twice. How did we forget that? Because they drew um, the first time and stopped him in the second fight. Like he's come on leaps and bounds. And I think what struck out to me the most is that he's. Antigolov is the guy you were thinking of, by Antigolov. the way. Antigolov, there we go. Choke. Yes. Uh, uh, the thing about the the Hura fight is that he's accepted his best asset is his jiu-jitsu. Like, everyone talks about how, like, this new wave of MMA, the jiu-jitsu doesn't really work. Like, you see it all the time, all these pundits, like, come out and be like, oh, yeah, an arm bar? Like, how does an arm bar happen in MMA and all this kind of stuff? Like, the reason it happens is because jiu-jitsu is evolving all the time. You've got people in the UK who are picking um, oh my god, I thought what my internet was about to cut out. I apologize. Oh, mate, I thought I was gonna have to fill 60 seconds of airtime <laughs> again. You should have heard me flustered as anything talking about Bilal and uh, for and the Maya. listeners, my, my face basically went as white as a sheet, but um, yeah, no, I was just really impressed with the fact that he said it as it is like he knew he couldn't hang with him on the ground, so he took him into his, his territory and taught him a lesson. And let's be honest, it's a pretty harsh lesson considering what happened to it. I mean, his arm was, it looked like he'd gone through a blender. <laughs> I think, I think he said after the fight, actually, that it's not broken. It's just, there's some dislocations there, but I mean, surely the, the ligaments in his elbow are going to be all mangled and shit. So even if it's not broken, that's probably going to be a fairly lengthy recovery. Um, but I am looking forward to seeing Jamal Hill back in there. Um, Craig called for the winner of the Anthony Smith and Ryan Spann fight. I think that's a pretty Great good fight. call out for him. Um, if, if he can get, if Anthony Smith can win that fight, that would be better for him because it's a bigger name. And that's kind of what he needs right now is a, is a, is a name that people recognize, I suppose, to, to solidify the winning streak he's on. Um, move, we'll move on to the uh, to the top of the prelims. Fight of the night by a mile. I mean, I mean, this was one good prediction we had that we could this, call this be an absolute banger. Brad Riddell, Drew Dober, um, just an absolute striking masterclass. Dober hurt Riddell pretty bad in the first round. And then second and third round, Riddell just absolute perfection almost didn't really ever get touched as much as uh as he had in the first round and was putting a lot of damage on drew whose chin is absolutely insane by the way yeah i mean his chin's pretty big as well let's be honest like yeah i the, think the... like a fire hydrant was how joe rogan <laughs> described his head <laughs> yeah if you want to look at like a a technical masterclass from both fighters 
any up and coming fighter just watch this fight over and over again the head movement itself is ridiculous like there are moments where both fighters are swinging but because they're they're timing their shots so well they're moving in and out of range and they're moving the heads away from the center line like it was a joy to watch and we called it we we said this was going to be a banger and it was i mean i must admit my initial prediction of riddell winning looked like it was going to be a Oh god, this is a nightmare. I was going. Is, yeah, right. right. is it fine? Am I good? Yeah, okay. Good. I'll say my, my initial prediction <laughs> when once COVID when... ends, mate, we'll start recording these in person. Once we get the listeners, yeah, exactly. Up, once it, once it's paying the bills. <laughs> <laughs> but when Riddell first got dropped, I felt like messaging you, being like, "Well, looks like my prediction has gone out the window." But yeah, because I had Dober winning. He got he got a second win in the second round, and from then on, it was basically game over. Because I, I do think Riddell's striking is up there with some of the best in the lightweight division. But it was also his wrestling. I, I was really impressed. Like we kind of talked about it in the Easy Fight. You can see that they've been working on the wrestling, like landed some decent takedowns. Like I was a little mind blown by that because when you watch a, a city kickboxing guy fight, the last thing you think it is, oh, he's gonna go for the takedown. But like he relied on the wrestling a, a fair a fair amount to like take the Took sting the out of Dober. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was it was a brilliant performance. Again, credit to both fighters for putting on such a show. I, I'll be intrigued to see who they, they match him up with next. I'd quite like to see them push him higher up the rankings because he's, he's just, I think he's literally just replaced Dober in the rankings, if I'm, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so, the, the, again, who, who knows what will happen, but... Well, there's a guy I yeah. want both of these guys to fight who's not in the rankings, so it can't. Uh, Riddell's not going to get him, but maybe we can have Dober fight him and then if he wins, he can fight Riddell afterwards, and that's Fazeev. Like, watch that fight and tell me that if you replace Fazeev into either of those guys' spots it's not the exact same fight. <laughs> like, I want both of these guys to fight Fazeev. I mean, you know, put up a few a few months apart, have um, have Doba fight Fazeev and then if Fazeev wins, he gets Riddell. If Doba wins, he gets Riddell again. <laughs> just, I just From, want the, these three guys to fight each other over and over again forever. Well, we could have a bit of a round robin here because from my from a British perspective, we could have Mark Giacchese in there as well. Like, can you imagine Giacchese versus Doba? That'd be sick. That that there's literally and there's also a bit of history there because well, there's a bit of history with Riddell because obviously Giacchese fought Hooker. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I just want to see a, a sparring session between Brad Riddell and, and Dan Hooker. I imagine it is claret everywhere. Like <laughs> both of them just going at it. Like, yeah, we've got to see that at some point. Come on, come on, Bearman, release the goods. Yeah, I mean, that came after the most boring fight of the night, possibly of the century, Eric Anders and Darren Stewart. We're not going to talk about that one. Um, really disappointing performance from Darren Stewart um, and Eric Anders wasn't much better, but I suppose you got to give him credit for getting the win any way he could. Um, Lauren Murphy won a pretty questionable decision against Joanne Calderwood. I, I think pretty much everyone I saw agreed with my verdict, which was, if anything, it was a draw. If anything, you'd give Lauren a 10-8 in round two and, and call the word rounds one and three. Somehow, the judges gave Murphy two rounds, which just doesn't make sense to me at all. She clearly lost one and three. Um, but yeah, disappointing there for JoJo. Uh, Lauren Murphy's probably next up to fight Valentina, which, what do you even say about that? That's just a joke. When are they going to end the division? <laughs> It's so shallow, man. I just, I just, I just want to see Suarez versus Valentina Shevchenko. Then we're done. Yeah, that's it. That's it's call it a wrap. Like I have no interest in that fight. Well, and it's I, I'm, I feel quite the sad betting because... line on that's going to be insane. I mean, you could if you put like a million on Valentina in that fight, you're winning like enough to buy a Freddo frog. <laughs> 
they have those in America? Do they understand what we're talking about? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how many American listeners we have, so screw it. It's a little chocolate bar. So, you know, we Brits, we love our chocolate. That's, that's why our teeth are bad. Um, we'll move on to a, to an actually good fight. Um, Evloiv against Hakim Dawadu. Um, I hope I said their names close to correct. Uh, really disappointing here for Hakim. I think he wasn't really expecting Mavsar to come out and grapple him. Obviously, everyone knows Mavsar's a good grappler, but I think there was just so much excitement about this being two young prospects that both have really good striking that, I mean, I was hoping it was going to be a striking battle and, and Mavsar surprised me and perhaps Hakim as well by just grapple-fucking him for the first 10 minutes. Yeah, I, I think conditioning played a part as well. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I'm... Maybe I'm, I'm I'm being a bit harsh, but I feel like Hakeem's a bit like it, he looks massive in the boot up to the fight, and then when it comes to weighing, like I don't know, he looked quite withdrawn and gaunt on the on the scales. I don't know if you saw like the photos or anything. I don't know if he's maybe cutting a bit too much. Like maybe he should move up or maybe think about moving up because it, it was the real issue here. Like we, we've seen him um, get up from takedowns before, and I understand that Ivoev is like this. Well, such a fluid wrestler first and foremost like it's cut straight from the same cloth as habib takes you down and basically moors you on the ground softens you up and then it goes to the finish or continues to pummel you like do you know what, there was there was a moment actually i think it was in the second round which made me laugh when mofsar was just like he was he'd taken his back and he was, he was actually on like back to the mat and, and facing up and he was just like punching hakeem in the face and hakeem couldn't do anything because he had both try he had like both legs around him and whatever, and he was just in this lock and he couldn't actually move. And Mofsar just continued to like pummel him in the face. <laughs> and they weren't like necessarily like big shots or anything, but it was <laughs> it was just quite comical. Um, I guess that's what I, I describe. I think I saw an analogy online, which was like Mofsar is basically an eel. He just leeches, latches onto you and doesn't let go. And then, like, I don't think that's what eels do, mate. I think you think of a leech. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 like. Uh, Apparently, when eels like get their prey or whatever, they wrap wrap themselves around them or whatever. And a barcastrix is probably a better analogy than an eel. But I, I think I was more thinking of his his bendy neck than anything. But um, yeah, really impressed from from Mosfar. Disappointed for Hakeem. But as we said, it was going to be a. I always hate it with the pair of prospects, and it was yeah, going to be one great prospect was was you know going to lose here. So um, yeah, disappointing for uh, for whichever one of them was going to be. Um, yeah, I mean, Hakeem's still got a great future. He looked, re- I mean, to, to come back and, and win the third round convincingly, you could kind of maybe say that Movzar took his foot off the gas and was just like, okay, I've got this in the bag. Um, but he, he did get a little wobbled by, by Hakeem. So, you know, credit to him for, for fighting back there. But, um, you know, there was only one convincing winner there. Um, Pani Kianzad decision win against Alexis Davis. I was a little disappointed with this performance, not going to lie. I quite like Pani. I think she's got pretty good potential. I was kind of thinking this was like set up for her to make a statement against a veteran who's been in there with the best of the best. I don't really think she she took the opportunity. Um, you could even make an argument maybe that Davis was unlucky not to win the fight. And um, yeah, I was, a, I was a little bit disappointed that, that Pani didn't really go out there and make a statement. Um, talking of making a statement, Terrence McKinney. No one's going to forget that debut in a hurry. I, I, I kind of felt that something was in the air, you know? I, I, I don't know if, if you felt the same, but, like, the way they were pushing the narrative, like, in the build-up to, like, the fight. I'll, sorry, I'll interrupt you. I didn't feel the same. <laughs> I, had, sure. I, had, I had money on Frivola round three. It was huge odds, and I suspected that Terrence would throw the kitchen sink in round one and then gas, yeah. 
Yeah, I, d- I don't know. I just like you know when the UFC are trying to build up a star and they, they start like bringing out the sob stories and like these crazy tales and whatever. I just his sob story is pretty. It's pretty insane. Like, though. Nuts, I wouldn't even call it a sob story. It's no, a great it's story. Just, yeah, <laughs> in a in a bad way. Yeah, bloody mental. Um, yeah, I, I, I do kind of feel like this is kind of setting him up, and I, I must admit, like, Favola beat my boy, um, Luis Pena, and, and which is a split decision. I haven't really been all that impressed with Favola. Like, we kind of talked about last week, where we were talking about, like, he looked pretty decent against Sarukian, but Sarukian basically mauled him. I don't really think he's done the thing. And then <laughs> I feel like McKinney was gunning for that Masvidal record, you know, like, came straight out of the blocks and, like, mm-hmm. was, yeah. It was fantastic. I, I feel like that was incontent. There wasn't. I think the trouble is it wasn't a clean knockout. Like he he, he knocked him out, sure, but it it wasn't like a it wasn't a walk off. No, exactly. It wasn't a one. It, exactly as you say. So I, I'm not quite prepared to call it care of the year. I don't think it's it's quite got that label. But the seven seconds is just sort of like holy shit, that was mental. <laughs> yeah, and I mean a, l- a little bit about his story for for anyone who hasn't heard it. Um, he died twice um he had a bad trip with mixing acid shrooms and alcohol i think that i may have made up the wrong concoction of drugs there but it was like three different drugs and alcohol i think and um yeah it got a bit bit too lit and uh, the police showed up he said i think the quote from him was he said he was like walking towards him like a zombie or something and they had no choice but to tase him and um yeah the mixture of drugs alcohol and getting tased he actually died i think twice in the hospital that night and uh, and came back and uh, yeah, I mean, came back and shines in his UFC debut after three round one knockouts in LFA. So quite the uh, quite the turnaround, quite the redemption arc there. And I mean, a guy that's going to be very easy to root for for a lot of people. Um, I'll tell you a guy who's not easy to re- root for is Steven Peterson with his fake glove touch punch. Yeah, it was. I think. He showed his he showed his experience, right? Like veteran savvy, fair enough. But I felt like he could have put Hooper away. I, I don't know, like especially in the stand up, there were moments where I was like, "Chase, you really have not been working on your stand up as much as you've been saying, have you?" Um, I think Peterson was going to the mat out of like ego, almost. Like you know, before I start, credit to Peterson, he put in a good performance. Like you say, savvy vet. He was too experienced, too strong for Chase. Um, you could, you know, he missed weight, so there's that little caveat there. But yeah, he did look pretty good. But yeah, I feel like he could, like you say, he could have easily kept it standing and and probably not chase out. And it was almost like he was like, okay, this is the kid everyone's talking about being amazing and definitely going to submit me or heel hook me or whatever. And you know, Peterson, I think, has got more wins by submission than anything else on his record. So I've, I, it did feel like he was kind of sending a message, like you know, that oh, this kid's not all that in terms of the grappling. Um, yeah, he, he definitely could have been more emphatic, but he's, he's not going to win any fans, um, you know, performing like that against a guy that everyone loves. I, I think the the biggest issue as well is what the hell are we going to do with Chase Hooper, man? Like, is it a developmental deal? Is it sending him back to like, I don't know, a regional circuit like Titan FC or an LFA? Like, is that where we are? Because I, I feel like the trouble is like, I think he's, I think he's got certainly got potential. I'm not prepared to write mm-hmm. him off. Uh, he's, and he's, he's a tough quite... son of a bitch as well. Like oh, he yeah. took a, there were a few bits of ground and pound that he was eating huge shots, and he didn't give up. He's not quite. He's not quite a Sage Northcutt, is he? Let's be honest. Yeah. But like, uh, yeah, I, I feel like we're in that awkward position where if they continue to feed him to hungry vets or whatever, or, or try and build him up, well, yeah, every every vet he out. fights is going to be like, you're not making your name off me. 
um, and you know go out there with a vengeance, basically, like like Peterson did. So you know exactly like you say, it's kind of a difficult situation where they they're not going to want to you know they don't want to cut him, they don't want to you know kill the kid's confidence, but at the same time he's clearly not quite ready for the level of competition that they're seemingly wanting to give him. Is it is it a two fight skid or is it? Win loss, win loss. I can't remember. Um, I think it's two. I think he lost to Caceres before this as well. Yes, I was one. I was wondering if the ridiculous heel hook was in between, but oh, it might have not. been against um, Peter Barrett. I think you're right. I can't quite remember. I'll just look. But yeah, it it's, a, it's a difficult. Yeah, situation. he submitted Peter Barrett in his last fight, and then before that was the loss to uh, Caceres, who moved into the featherweight rankings this weekend. By the way, I have no idea why, but Alex Caceres is ranked now. So. That says a lot about the state of the featherweight division. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> Certainly news. Yeah, it is a weird one. Because I feel like we were talking about this with... Um... Oh, who were we talking about this with? Edmund Shabazian, right? We were talking about Edmund Shabazian mm-hmm. saying, well, they don't want to push him too far. They don't want, like... He's in that, again, he's in that awkward flux, right? Like I, feel like limbo, Chase... yeah. I feel like Chase is even in, in, in an even tougher position because, he's, as you say, he's not ranked, like... He's still really young, but if he takes too much punishment, then they're going to end up with like another another Sage North cut, which isn't great for business. Yeah, so, youth doesn't matter if you get the shit beat now. Be like five times. Yeah, like the minute you fracture an eye socket, it's basically game over, right? Mm-hmm. So it is a tough one. I, I'm personally of the opinion that I think they should do a de- developmental deal and and send him off, as I say, to like an LFA or a Titan just to get that experience. Because I don't think it's the question of fighting veteran fighters i think it's the question of fighting ufc veteran fighters who've had like 10 fights 12 fights in the ufc and have fought a much higher caliber of opponent than chase i think that's where ultimately it's proved to be his undoing that he's Mm -hmm. been he's been matched too highly and they've kind of pre-jumped to conclusions rather than i don't know bid their time and, and waited for him to develop as a fighter like what do you think yeah, I completely agree. I mean, we like you said, we said very similar with Shabazian. Obviously, Shabazian's higher up the you know the the ladder, but um, it is just a, a weird situation where, I mean, we said it last week. What what are they doing with these matchups? Why are they putting in there with hungry vets who have fought better, you know, better um, opponents than he has, and have more experience in are more well rounded as well? Um, it just doesn't really. It just doesn't really work for me at all. Um, I think, you know, developmental deal, whatever you want to call it, you know, send send him away on loan um, is, is sort of the only solution for me because what, you know, level of bums can they find in the dredges of the UFC rankings to give him? Um, and that's not even me trying to disrespect Chase because like you said, he, he does have talent and he does have huge potential, but he's just clearly not, not quite ready yet. Um, so still got a lot of work to do. Moving on. I, I have a new fighter that I love, Luigi Vendramini, because I love when fighters are losing and they say, fuck it in the third round and just go for broke. And I mean, this that, what he did there. in the third round was the definition of throwing the kitchen sink. Um, Ferez Ziam looked really good in the first two rounds. Um, just beautiful kickboxing, beautiful movement. Never really was even in range to be hurt by Vendramini. And um, and then, yeah, Vendramini comes out in the third round like a house on fire, tries to kill him, tries to knock his head off has Ziam sprinting around the octagon trying to get away from him. That was a pretty fun round. I'm not going to lie. Oh, it was entertaining. I, I feel like that's in contender for like round of the year. <laughs> Just because of the sheer craziness. Not out of, not out of yeah. quality, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, again, like there isn't really much to talk about in terms of these these early prelims, right? Like even the Carlos Felipe fight, it was just like, eh. But that moment did stand out to me just because it was like, it was quite comical <laughs> just to see, as you say, him getting his like, 
escapes and just run around the octagon trying to evade like a wild Vindramini. Um Looking forward to seeing both those fighters again soon. I hope yeah. they'll be back in again soon because their styles are really, really entertaining. And I mean, they're give, both quite... give Vendramini a guy who's not so long and can keep him so far out of range and, and I think he'll be a lot more fun. Yeah, I agree. And also, like, again, I feel like as they're unranked, there's more potential for, like, I don't know, like a a barn burner with, again, like another unranked opponent. Mm. Someone who doesn't quite have the same pedestal as, like, a, a ZM. Like, I feel like both fighters take quite a lot away from it. As you say, it's kind of like, in a weird way, it's kind of like a, a foreshadowing of the, the Edwards-Diaz fight, right? Like, where Diaz, as you said, was comfortably losing the entire fight and then has that one moment of madness where everyone stands up and goes like, oh my God, like, that, that's to me what that felt like. It was just like... Yeah, I mean, that's that's a g- very good point, actually, because until I watched the highlights back, I'd completely forgotten how good Ziam looked in the first two rounds. All, all I remembered was him scrambling around trying to run away from Vendramini, chasing him like a suit, like a murderous maniac. Um, yeah, I, it's pretty good comparison. And um, like I say, it's ki- kind of a win-win for both in terms of building a little bit of... Um, excitement around their names because i'm not sure there would have been too many um you know fans who would have been particularly familiar with with both of them especially vendramini um yeah carlos philippe jake collier we don't need to really talk about that one and i actually noticed there's a very similar fight on next week's ufc card uh, the eager versus korean eager versus korean zombie card we've got josh parisian against roque martinez and like did that just feels like a clone of this fight where they're just gonna swing for the you know for the fences and one of them's going to gas, and that's the one that's going to lose. Like, that's it, it's just the exact same fight almost. Two fat me. boys outside where the spoons. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> um, may, I don't know. Maybe one of these guys will get knocked out. Um, Prissian did look pretty good on Contender Series. But um, yeah, it just feels like an identical fight where you've got two big slugging heavyweights who are going to probably land some good shots on each other, and then one of them's going to gas, and that's the one that's going to lose. Um, should we talk about next week's card a little bit? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Is, is there anything in the news that's particularly caught your eye uh oh yeah actually but there are some matchups we could talk about um ufc 265 just got vicente luque and michael chiesa added what um, a fight really fun one there and whoever wins that is probably one win away maybe from a title shot i, I wouldn't put them in the title shot but um you know i'm a big fan of luque i do like chiesa as well but um i gotta back luque here i just think there is not a more fun fighter in the ufc than vicente like wherever the fight goes he he's trying to finish it it doesn't matter um, I, and you know I love fighters like that. I think that could ultimately prove to be his Achilles heel because I feel like Mikiaz is just going to drown him. Just going to time that. him and, and yeah. put him down, yeah. yeah. But Luke I mean, does have good good jiu-jitsu, so I don't know. I feel like gra- grappling could be interesting. If Kiesa can't get it down, I think it's going to be a very long night for him. Yeah, he'll get pissed up on the feet. I just I, I do worry. That, I mean, he is the most boring human blanket on the planet. So, like, yeah. It's got, as you say, it's got potential. Like, I feel like the winner of that fight, as you said, does kind of. I don't. I, again, I don't think they're quite there, but they're about. Yeah. Like, they could potentially call for a Covington or, the like the winner of Burns, like, Thompson. That kind of feels like a, or maybe even the loser. That feels like a mm-hmm. natural matchup. Um, I don't want to see them fight Leon though. 
put Burns Luque on the uh, on your Brazil dream card with. Uh, <laughs> oh, can you imagine? Yeah, imagine they made it like all Brazilian fighters, just on nuts. Get, that would get be. the Johnny Walker, Thiago Santos fight, move to that card. Yeah, mate, <laughs> that's what dreams are made of. Find some, um, find some random Brazilian for Nunes to murder. <laughs> <laughs> UFC two sixty six. Then in uh, that's a month later in September. It's got a couple of new fights as well. Marlon Moraes against Mirab Devagili. No way I said that right. Sorry, Mirab. Um, and Josina Rosenstrike versus Curtis Blades. We talked about that heavyweight scrap a little bit before we started recording. And I said, I absolutely hate that matchup more than anything in the world. Um, I like Rosenstrike, and I can just see this being him getting lay on for 25 minutes, to be honest. I don't think he's going to do what Lewis did. I'd be great if he did, but I don't think he's going to do what Lewis did to Blades. And um, I don't think he has any ground game whatsoever. So this just seems like a perfect matchup for Blades, in my opinion. Have we seen much of Rosenstroik's game, uh, ground game? No, <laughs> not really. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I, although I just I can kind of see Blaze just shooting and doing exactly what's happened in like every single one of his defeats, right? Getting caught by a haymaker, and I feel like if he gets caught by Rosenstroik, he ain't getting back up. And I, I, I'm going to go on a limb here and say that Rosenstroik hits harder than Derek Lewis. So, I mean, again, we saw what he did with his bloody jab. So I, I feel like that is quite merited. I'm less pessimistic, pessimistic than you. I'm quite optimistic. I do feel like this is going to be one of those pick em fights. Mm-hmm. However, I am in agreement. I am leaning towards Blades purely because we haven't seen enough of Rose Troy's takedown defense. So it's an interesting matchup because where does the winner go? Or loser go, sorry. Like, in fact, no, actually, it's, it, it's both. Where does the yeah, winner go? Yeah, I was going to say, where does the winner go? Blades wins. You can't put him in there with Nganu because he's already got smashed by him twice you can't put him in there with lewis because he's already been smashed but like it doesn't it doesn't really i don't know it's just a weird matchup um yeah i i agree there's not really any sort of scope for movement there i guess rosenstrike is the one that has more potential to to really make a move up the rankings if he wins um the other one marais and mayrab um i mean really difficult fight for marlon coming off a few losses um and a few emphatic losses as well getting knocked out by font and um and Sanhagen, you know, Mehrab is not, is no joke. I know he's, you know, the lesser known of these two guys, but um, I mean, that's, I would kind of have expected them to give Marais maybe a slightly easier fight coming off two knockout losses, but you know, that's, uh, that's what happens when you're in the, uh, one of the most stacked divisions in the UFC. Um, yeah, let's talk about this weekend's card, um, Ige versus Korean Zombie. It's not an, uh, an incredible card, but I think there's a, there's a couple sleeper fights on there. You, um, you spoke to Casey O'Neill this week, didn't you? I did massive, massive fan of her. I think I don't know, maybe losing, but she does kind of feel like a future star in the making. She has that kind of, she has a crazy story actually. Like she's from originally from um, Scotland, Kilmarnock, and moved over to Australia, and now she lives in Vegas and trains at Extreme Couture. I don't quite know how you end up in all those three different places, but here we are. Um, really, really about interesting. Kilmarnock and Vegas, basically the same place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. They say the, yeah. the Kilmarnock is the Vegas of Scotland. <laughs> I don't think they do, mate. But we'll, we'll, we'll roll with it. Well, they will um, now. They will now. No, she's got like a. I don't know. There is just something about her. I, I do feel like there's a bit of like. I, I, I think. I think she's fighting a flyweight, and it just feels like if she can put together a bit of a run, the division's so shallow. Like maybe, maybe Shevchenko might finally have a bit of a. A problem on her hands just because I think Casey's quite well rounded. She showed that on her debut, actually. I thought she was brilliant on her debut, but then Lara looked very good against Molly, 
So it's a very interesting matchup between, again, two prospects. I hate to say it. Um, but yeah, I was really impressed with like the way that Casey was dealing with the interview as well. A lot. Oh, not again. <laughs> God, again. This is a nightmare. This hasn't happened at all in any of these episodes. And we're, what, 18 episodes in? And now his internet's shit in the bed. Mid, mid hyping up a prospect that he interviewed this week. How disappointing. Other, other interesting fights on the prelims. We've got Chaos Williams against Matthew Semmelsberger. Semmelsberger coming off a huge knockout of his own. Chaos Williams known for his knockout power, but also has just had his chin tested a few times by Michelle Pereira in their fight. So, um, yeah, interesting one there. Probably going to end pretty quickly one way or the other. I think Semmelsberger is primarily a wrestler, but showed last time out that he has serious, serious knockout power. Other interesting ones on the prelims, Werner Jandy Dober, Kanaka Murata, absolutely incredible grappler's delight of a matchup there. Jandy Dober is like a Brazilian jiu-jitsu wizard, um, witch, I guess she would be a witch, and, uh, and Murata is just an absolutely smothering re- uh, wrestler. So very interesting there to see if, if, uh, if Werner can catch Murata in anything. Murata looked really good last time out, nearly won by submission. I think she ended up winning a, a pretty convincing decision. But um, yeah, if anyone's going to test her uh, her wrestling, it's going to be Jandy Dobo, who's going to be trying to sneak in all sorts of submissions there. Matt Brown is returning to open up the the main card. Obviously, eighteen losses on his record is is uh, certainly towards the uh, the twilight years of his career, but still an absolute um, you know fan favorite for for obvious reasons. He's, a, he's an exciting fighter and a guy who's going to definitely go for the knockout. And Diego Lima did okay last time out against Bilal Muhammad. Um, was a little bit outclassed. I think he might have come in on short notice on that fight as well, but just got pieced up by leg kicks and pinned up against the fence for a lot of the fight. And it looks like Tom's back just in time as we talk about Matt Brown and Diego Lima. I've moved. <laughs> I've moved on, mate. I've moved us on. <laughs> you, uh, All good, my friend. We're, we're on Matt Brown and Diego Lima. Well, uh, I'm trying my best to uh, to fill Salvage. the air. Time. Yeah, Ma- the hot mainly mess. <laughs> just because I'm so lazy, to, I can't be bothered to edit out gaps. <laughs> so I just rather just talk nonsense through them. Um, you know, editing out that's like another five, ten minutes added on to this production time, mate. Um, so can't be dealing with that. Yeah. I mean, the, the one I the, the one I pointed to on the prelims as the funnest matchup, I think, is Jandy Dober against Marata. Obviously, that's gonna be taking place on the mat. And who knows if if Werner can catch um catch Marata in something her like smothering wrestling style has looked really good so far in a short time in the UFC. Who did Jandy Dober fight beforehand? I forget. Uh was it Mackenzie Dern? Ah, uh, yes. And I can't. Is Murata making a debut? I forget. No, I think she just beat um, possibly Randa Marcos, someone like that, in her, uh, in her debut. Just wrestle. I'm surprised, I'm surprised you weren't intrigued by Chaos Williams versus Semi the Jedi. Oh, I did I did touch on that one, yeah. Um, the best the qu- nickname on the UFC roster. <laughs> oh, mate, the best nickname is um, the Water Buffalo, Fabio Chiron. I know he's only 0-1, but... A water buffalo, what a nickname. Um, yeah, Randa Marcos was um was Murata's UFC debut, nearly submitted her a few times, but ended up winning a unanimous decision. And then uh Jandy Dober, just have a check here that I'm not talking complete shit. And Mackenzie Dern, yeah, her last fight was a, a decision loss to Mackenzie Dern. Before that, two submissions on Mallory Martin and Fully's Herrig. I tell you, going back to Matt Brown versus Diego Lima, that is a really interesting fight for both fighters. Like Matt Brown obviously coming off that loss to Carlos Condit. As you say, Lima hasn't fought since that loss to Muhammad, uh, Bala Muhammad. So, yeah, I feel like the, the loser's kind of on shaky ground. 
like lose this fight, you might end up getting cut. I want to see Lima let his hands go there. Like, I'm not trying to get Matt Brown killed because I like Matt Brown a lot, and his chin is getting, um, you know, it's got some miles on on the clock. But um, yeah, I just think Lima has some decent tools to work with, and we haven't really seen him unleash since he's been in the UFC. And um, yeah, Bilal was just a, a poor matchup for him. I think Tell it might be on short notice. I can't remember. It's surprising that that is like the, the curtain raiser. If you look at like how is Julian Rosa on a, like above Matt Brown? Matt Brown's a legend, man. Like I don't know. It seems a bit strange. Julian Rosa's coming off that big knockout of uh, of Nate Landwehr, though, and yeah, I know, but like in terms of the name and profile, fighter, yeah, like, I see what you mean. I would even argue that Matt Brown's a bigger name than like potentially Marlon Vera and David Grant. I know they're both and, like and the co-main. I, I don't know why yeah. Linux versus, versus Spivak is the co-main on this card, but that's <laughs> so a pretty Sergey Spivak is in a co-main event. Oh my god, pretty weirdly interesting matchup. Um, I, I mean the one other than the main event, the one that I think everyone's going to be talking about is Cheeto Vera and Davy Grant for obvious reasons. I, well, as I, I said, spoke to you, to you today. Yeah, do you want to do you want to fill us in on uh, how Davy Grant's feeling before this oh, fight? Oh man, he's mental. He, he, <laughs> I've never met someone who is like. I, I, like I often interview people and they kind of come across it like David Grant is just not like it just doesn't seem like a fighter at all the man loves Disney movies he was talking to me about the Avengers for like 25 minutes solid like absolute legend of a guy like so funny and so, a family man as well um, obviously he's beaten he's beaten Vera before mm-hmm. like uh, your boy he's taking the L I am a bit concerned I must admit because I feel like I, I I like both men, and I can't see it going out of the second round. So, and they've been a bit respectful on, as you say, on Bisping's podcast and whatever. But there does seem to be a bit of underlying tension between the two, which builds for like, I feel like this could be fight of the night. And I was just actually thinking about that about like Erosa and Seung Wu. I think that could be like a a sleeper as well. But for me, Vera Davy Grant has fight of the night written all over it, and that's even forgetting about the main event, which is Danny versus. Korean Zombie, the two brawlers of the featherweight division, who have no striking technical ability whatsoever. <laughs> That's a bit harsh, mate. I think Zombie's got some uh, some technical ability. I just want to drop my prediction, by the way, for uh, for Cheeto and Davy Grant before you before you move on. Um, I would like to see Cheeto go to his grappling a little bit here. Um, I know he was a, a bit of a submission expert before he started knocking people out on that little win streak he went on, and I think. All of Davy's losses, or all of his losses by stoppage, or by submission. I don't think he's ever been knocked out. So, um, you know, I think if I was Cheeto, I'd maybe be looking at, you know, trying to take this to the mat. And I think it would sort of spring a surprise on Davy a little bit because I think, like you said, everyone's expecting it to be a, a super fun matchup. So I'm going to have a little cheeky bet on uh, on Cheeto by submission. But like you say, the, the main attraction of this card by far, um, 10 times above any other fight on this card, is, is the main event. Um, and I don't know. I, I I'm really sort of counting on a on a bounce back performance from uh, from the Korean Zombie here. I feel like Ego's going to sleep him, mate. Don't say that. Don't say <laughs> that. A zombie doesn't get slept, mate, except by last second bizarre elbows. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think Ego hits like a truck, and I mean, a zombie got dropped by. I mean, Brian Ortega hits hard. Don't get me wrong, but. He's not necessarily a stand-up guy. Let's be real. No. And I feel like if he... Well, we saw that in Ige's last fight. He touched Tucker, who we were really high on, and literally put him to sleep like in the first exchange. 
I don't think Zombie can get caught in a wild exchange. I don't think Zombie can get like I, I, I don't think Zombie can allow Ego to close the distance, basically. I think the minute Ego gets inside the pocket, it could be lights out for Zombie, unfortunately. Because again, it's it's one of those matchups where like I'm a big fan of both guys. Zombie's given us some amazing moments in the UFC. I'm just kind of I, I feel like with his last performance, Ortega completely outclassed him. And I, I, although I think there's a there's a bit of a height disparity, I think Ige's slightly shorter. I just wonder if Ige's power might give him the event, might give him the edge in the stand up. Yeah, I, I mean, I could certainly see it happening. Like you said, Ige versus Tucker showed that he has insane knockout power. Um, I was still pissed we didn't get to see that fight play out because I was super excited for that fight. But um, yeah, I, I'm I'm going to lean Zombie. I think a a lot of the time we expect um, sort of. I wouldn't call Zombie a veteran, but a guy who's been in there with, with a lot of the best of the best. Um, and then they start to show signs of sort of depreciating a little bit. Um, I'm just going to refer back to Ponzinibbio a few weeks ago where we all thought, oh my God, he's all old and feeble now after he got knocked out by Li Jingliang. And then he came back and put in an absolutely incredible performance. I, I'm predicting a, a similar bounce back for um, for Zombie here. And not that I don't like Dan Eager, he's a great fighter, but I just think Zombie's sort of, if he can pressure like you say he's got to avoid getting you know too close but Iga struggled a little bit with Calvin Cater's pressure and I think that was his only loss in in his like last however many fights so I think if Zombie can replicate that while staying clear of the uh the knockout blow that that Iga certainly possesses in his right hand then um yeah I I I don't know I just got I'm leaning Zombie here purely from experience um you know the type the caliber of opponents he's fought in the past and uh and I love a redemption story mate that's it I mean, actually, you, you just had it there. Am I alive? Can I? Can I go? <laughs> this is right. a, this is a nightmare, mate. I should be editing. Can, can, can we just title this podcast? Can we just title this podcast? Technical difficulties. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, if, if Zombie wins, you just you literally just said it. I think he gets Calvin Cater. I want to see that fight. I've been begging for that fight That'd for years. I feel like that's got Claret, as we always say, written all over it. Um, if it makes it that far. Yeah, I feel like that's the fight to make. If Ige wins, though, it's a bit more interesting. I'd quite like to see him fight Arnold Allen from a British perspective. I feel like that makes the most sense in terms of the rankings anyway. Um, but yeah, the featherweight division, man. I feel like the featherweight is like my favorite division in the UFC. And I haven't said that in a while. Like the Aldo, like Holloway dominance era didn't really like get me that hyped. But with like Volk and Ortega and Holloway and Ige and Arnold Allen, like all mixing it up. Like, I don't know. I mean, Zabit is like what taking early retirement or whatever. Like, it's popping, man. It's it, it's hotter than ever before. I, I knew you'd find a way to uh, to bring this round to mentioning Volk. Um, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll wrap it up on that note, shall we? Um, I do uh... apologize for the um, travesty that was my internet today. I don't know what was going on. It's, it's never, sometimes it drops out, but it's never usually like this bad. I think it's a good thing we're taking opposite sides in the main event for once because we always seem to pick the same way. And um, after that terrible Figueredo prediction, um, at least one of us will be right next week. When <laughs> one we of return. us needs to redeem ourselves, yeah. <laughs> anyway, see ya.